Hello, and welcome to the first VG Thought Intermission Podcast. So-called intermission because, well, we're taking a break between playing games right now to talk about other games. It's all games, all time at VG Game Thought. This episode is about tutorials. I mean, what other better way to uh, start off a new podcast than where video games start, right? Well, first off, does anyone here need a tutorial on how to podcast? Maybe. <laughs> uh, All right, looks I'm like we're... Oh. I'm still learning. Still learning. Oh, well, there is an achievement if you uh, complete the tutorial, so, you know, that's that's an incentive for you. <laughs> Get up your gamer score. All right. All right. Today, we are joined by Golem. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. It's a nice, beautiful Saturday, but uh, quite gusty, and uh, even a 15-minute walk is trying. Ugh. You're, you're going on walks in this gusty weather? Well, I you know, went to go pick up a bagel. Oh, well, that's, that's a very noble of you. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, what have you been playing recently? Recently, actually, I picked up a game which has no tutorial. It is Mega Man 5 for the Game Boy. You can tell it's the Mega Man 6 companion game because it's ultra easy. But I think the the most interesting takeaway from it is the Mega Arm. So the charge shot is replaced by the Mega Arm. And the Mega Arm, you can't shoot until the Mega Arm returns back to you. So you have to either choose between shooting the charge shot or shooting the you know, small, fast pellets. You can't do both at the same time. So I think that's an interesting way of balancing that charge shot and something I would have liked to see in other games. Because I think Mega Man lends itself well to counterbalances where you decide one thing over another rather than, like, layering cool things. So I like the Mega Arm, and I like Mega Man 5. I thought it was interesting what you said right at the beginning there where you thought Mega Man V was the Mega Man 6 companion game because I know for sure that the first four games borrowed elements from at least two different Mega Man games and the fifth one was very unique like that. So I thought it was interesting to hear that it was still sort of similar to an NES Mega Man in spite of that. Yeah, not in terms of levels or bosses, but still the difficulty level is comparable and the Mega Arm is similar to how the Rush suits in Mega Man 6 tried to change up gameplay at a very core level. So I think the similarities between Mega Man V or Rockman World 5 and Mega Man 6 on the NES are more conceptual than literal. Very interesting. So when can we expect you to uh, make a ROM hack of Wily Wars 2? I've already completed it. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Adrian, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good? Literally pretty? Are you feeling pretty today? (laughs) Well, I haven't washed my hair, so I'm not feeling pretty at the moment. Well, I still think you're pretty, Adrian, so... Fuck out, thank you. Like, you won't think that once I lose the rest of my hair. <laughs> uh, what have you been playing lately? Well, 
I think you all know that I was actually very excited to announce that I had started playing Rodea the Sky Soldier. What? Which, yeah, which actually fits pretty neatly into this podcast since it has one of the goofier done tutorials that I've seen in the video game. Oh, Wait, which yeah. version oh. are you playing? Right. The Wii, the Wii version. I can concur with you on the weirdness of Rodea's tutorial. Yeah. We'll get into it after we're done with the introductions. Have you been enjoying the game otherwise? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's it's kind of a mix between Sonic and Knights, which is the best way I can put it. And they found a more manual way to do the homing attack, and Knights is flying while being in 3D and not on rails. That uh, that does sound very, very solid. The, the game seems to be on sale on Amazon, so I'll have to try and snag that. Yeah, make sure you get the one with the, the Wii, Wii version, version right. that's bundled with the Wii version now, because um, yeah, I got that as a steal. That was basically two games for forty. <laughs> I believe Shouty made the Wii U version sound very unappetizing. I have no idea how they did the Wii U version if they're not using the Wii Remote. My understanding is that Yuji Naka made a Wii version, and somebody else was making a 3DS version at the same time. And the 3DS version was used as the basis for the Wii U version when it was eventually revived after years of not being with a publisher. Oh, wow. So that means they used the, the gamepad, the touchscreen. Because how else, would, how else is the 3DS, one, uh, 3DS version of this game going to play without, you know, the Wii Remote? If it's, unless Use it's regular controls. Ew, regular controls? <laughs> yeah. It worked for Knights. Yeah, but Knights was on rail as shit. <laughs> yeah, Knights was a 2D game. Yeah, Knights was 2D, and you could almost play that entire thing with just an analog stick and two buttons, I think. Maybe not even. Yeah, just one button. Just one button, yeah. Well, you needed to dance at certain parts, but <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> All right, moving on. Shouty, how are you doing? I'm doing eating. <laughs> Excellent. What are you eating? Share with the class. Some toast with white fish salad on it, and I some carrots. Not as good as the bagel, but, you know, that's a close second. Uh, what carrots. Is... <laughs> carrots? Why? Oh, God. Just, you just had to ruin it. Vegetables. No, I didn't. Uh, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been still playing off. Oh, um, that's right. Is that yeah. the bug spray? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it's still good. It's getting to the more disturbing part. Is it affecting your psyche? No. No? Oh. Did you survive Human Nikki? I haven't properly played Human Nikki. I oh, just sort of blundered around in it, not really knowing what to do. Should probably play it properly and beat it, actually. I would be. Good. Maybe we'll do a horror game month sometime. Oh boy. <laughs> Fox, how are you doing? I'm kind of chilly, actually. Oh well, turn up the heat. Well, Boom! It's all the way across the room. Oh well, that's a tragedy. And I've I've got a uh, uh, obligations right now. Uh, what have you been playing lately? Well, I just started a uh, Fiat Rhythm, Final Fantasy Fiat Rhythm. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I finally opened that up after I don't know how long I've had it. A year, it's... two, <laughs> a year and a half. Yeah, it's 
kind of absurd how many unlockables it's offering. Uh, this morning, I just unlocked the ability to purchase DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Who have you been playing as? Who's been your party? Uh, mostly from the first five. I got, I don't remember her name from Final Fantasy 1. She's like the goddess. Furion. No. Final Fantasy 1? Yeah. Um, there's Chaos and there's the other one. Oh. Oh, her. I don't think she's really from Final Fantasy 1. That's that's like a fake-out. Well, I'm using the fake-out character. I, I think she's like really from Dissidia. Yeah, Dissidia. Okay. And then Furion, Onion Knight, and Terra. Well, Onion Knight, Shouty's got to be happy about that. <laughs> I, I guess I have to. <laughs> I'm legally obligated to be happy about Onion Knight. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that is tutorial that was mostly skippable, so I was pretty happy with it. So how does it compare to my favorite game, The Weepy Agents? I don't have to use the stylus the whole time. Oh, so wow, that sounds awful. I'm happy. Just throw it away. Oh, oh, <laughs> God. Wait, <laughs> when do you not use the stylus? You can use the stylus, you can use stylus and buttons, or you can use analog stick and buttons. How? Well, you've got either the these circle things that appear, you have to hit them at the right time, or you've got where there would normally be sliders. And you hold the button down, and as long as that lasts, then let go, and the, the, it ends. And then there are arrow circle buttons, so you, you flick the oh. control pad in that direction. So it sounds like they play pretty drastically different. They had to redo the thing for all of the different control schemes? Well, I, I, I tried stylus at first. It didn't seem so different to me. Okay. I don't know, it seems more of a like a, a matter of taste than actual difference in mechanics. I, I'm surprised you haven't been using uh, your faves from Final Fantasy IX. I only have Zidane. I, oh. I, I don't have Steiner, I don't have Vivi. You don't have Kino. I don't have... Is that what, how you pronounce his name? Yeah. You'll, you'll get there someday. I believe in you. Someday. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as for me, your beautiful host, I've been doing pretty well. I woke up past noon, and that makes me very cranky. I don't like waking up after 12. I get sleeper's guilt. <laughs> and I've been playing Prince of Persia, the 2008 game. Ooh. Oh. Uh, it's, it's very fun. It's, it gives me that satisfying parkour feeling. Uh, I don't like that game. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> If that's the one I'm thinking of, it's the one that I usually call Prince of Persia 4. Because it's, at the time, there was three on the PS2, and that was the first one that came out to come out on the new consoles. Yeah, you're right. That's It's yeah. the one where he has the blue and orange scarf, isn't it? Yeah. And the claw. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so what's your problems with the game? It's too easy. Oh. It is way, way too easy. Is it that is a no game. It, it is, well, that is definitely one of them, but the sheer lack of enemies, just how automated the platforming can be, where it really is just like static timed button presses, that there really isn't a whole lot they can do to even make that game challenging in the first place. So it got very tiresome, especially when you actually beat one of the four bosses and you had to collect those stupid light things of which there's like hundreds of them scattered throughout the thing that it just got really lame, and you need those to actually complete the game. And that's when I threw up my hands in the air and said, you know what, screw it, I'm done. 
the combat is also just more flashy than anything because you can literally just like indiscriminately mash buttons and they'll start uh the prince and what's her face elise or i don't remember well elica i think will start just doing these amazing combos and they the enemies just can't do anything at all to counter you so yeah that's what i mean by being way too easy you re you really can't just like play that game with one hand, just bash, square, triangle, and circle randomly, and you're going to kick their ass. So Mario fan, why do you like it? Because I'm easily impressed, and I feel like a king when I platform correctly. Yeah, I, I've always been made to understand it's more of an interactive experience than, like, a game, per se. I, I guess, you know, I, I really like how, how smooth I feel when I when I land the uh, the parkouring. Yeah, it looks very nice. That's the thing. It, like, it was one of those things like, wow, this is super cool at first, up until they don't really start doing much of anything, you know, with it. You know, and that's the thing because they actually have one really cool mechanic that's not in the other Prince of Persia games, and that's the the claw thing, where you can use it to sort of like slide down the kind of do like a Mega Man X like wall slide thing, instead of you know just fall straight down whenever you you're finished, you know, with your wall run. Uh, they don't do really anything that they don't put much of any obstacles in your way when you're doing the platforming though. So just push the jump button to always jump to the next thing because you can't you have no control over that jump. It is very fixed, so there's really not much to the platforming at all. You you are right that it is very repetitive though. Yeah. And once I beat, and once you beat uh, the four boss, and I, I don't even remember the bosses really changing up in any way significant either. Which fight them like, I think two or three times. There's the hunter, the concubine. Oh, you the fight warrior. them all six times, actually. Jesus Christ! Oh my <laughs> God. Okay, yeah, no. <laughs> Give me another reason to not like that game. Ugh. The, the right. enemies do do a thing sometimes where you you can't attack them any other way unless you start with a certain attack. Like if they have this orange aura around them, they only have to use a throw attack or else nothing else is going to work. Or oh, if they wow. start throwing Slenderman tendrils, then you have to use Elica or else nothing else is going to work. How far into the game? Because those are enemies I... Those are two um, things that I do not recognize. Like I don't remember anything going orange ever. Every area has a first area, then it has a circle of four areas, and then the boss area. Hmm? Yeah. After you beat the first area and go to the circle four, that's when enemies and bosses start doing that. Okay. Maybe it's that I don't remember because the game was just so damn easy. <laughs> and now we transition to the tutorial talk. I think the first thing we should probably go over is what is a tutorial? Golan, would you like to lead us off on that? Sure. My understanding is uh, a tutorial is any segment of a game that teaches a player what the buttons do and what kind of tactics you'll want to use through the game. And that can be more or less explicitly communicated. And uh, this definition errs on the side of saying anything in the game can be a tutorial viewed in the correct light. Yeah, I was about to say that I actually have a, I had a hard time trying to distinguish when a tutorial stops and starts because when you really think about it, games are always testing you on new things all the time. I mean, technically, when you really think about it, say your college course, 
every new chapter is a tutorial, so there's no real point where you ever stop learning new things that you aren't being taught. So in, 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 in like a video, whatever. whatever but when you take an exam. Yeah, 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 I know. The, the exams and the tests are the one part where that's not true. But um, what, here's where I was going to go with next. With some games, like, say, Portal, in most of that game, each puzzle is showing something new, and they have a unique way of funneling you through to come to that uh, solution. And that's like 80% of the game. So it's one of those weird things where I can't really figure out if there's any real meaningful way to talk about games like this. But I think we all know uh, which kinds of tutorials we are going to talk about. And yeah, we'll get to that later. A lot of it has to do with the way they're reacted to by other people. Well, I think I think you're getting at is like, what's the difference between like an explicit tutorial and when a game has you learn things as part of the experience? And you're saying like in in Portal, you're kind of you're always being exposed to new puzzles. So it's mm -hmm. it's sort of a mixture between getting told how to solve those or what sort of things you do and the sort of things we're used to where you're stuck in a tutorial room and you're learning everything you can do all at once, like a crash course. Well, my thing was that um, I find it kind of hard to decide where the tutorials stop and start. Because in Portal, you can say the tutorials at the beginning of the game, like the first two chapters or whatever. I say um, if the tutorial is, if our definition of a tutorial is based on being taught new things, you can actually extend that to almost like 80% of the game. With Portal 2, I see what you're saying, but if you take Super Mario Brothers, that's a game with very select few elements, and you might say the first Hammer Brother is introduced in isolation in, uh, I don't know, World 5, I think. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're not seeing new stuff in every level, and so I think if you want the broadest view of tutorial, then you still are not talking about times where you're just rearranging elements the player has already seen. Right. That, like, if the player has already seen everything that's in this level, then there's no kind of tutorial aspect to it, no matter how hard you try. Right. It gets to the part where you use the things you, you already know, because these are things you've seen before. I also find that that's... I mean, just personally, I prefer games that tend more towards that, because learning new stuff is not the fun part. What do you mean by learning stuff is not the fun part? That's not the part that I personally enjoy. I enjoy when I get to invest myself in a topic. So if I might compare Super Mario 3D Land to Super Mario 3D World, 3D World has a lot more unique content to it than 3D Land, so I find 3D World less satisfying because there's less focus. Alright. And so... I think you tend to find that a game with more teaching tends to have more diversity of content, which then means that you spend less time on any single idea. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. I can see why that would be obtrusive to a certain type of player. It's, it's also that kind of thing why um, I initially thought Portal was actually uh, too short of a game. Because most of the game was like that, although if I'm to believe my brother, the extra levels or the extra chapter in Portal get more into those more complicated puzzles that are just twists on things you already know and not really new stuff. That's like Box Boy. Yeah, the later Wait, levels definitely extra start doing that. Portal? Yeah. What I do you mean ex those extra challenges, like do it with as less portals as possible or stuff like that. Oh, okay. I thought I thought there was an extra chapter. 
I mean, oh yeah, that's that's a challenge. Those are map a set of challenge maps, right? We're talking right. about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What? Set of challenge maps? The, the... VR missions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Those are just new spins on old levels. Okay. Is this like a DLC or something? No, it was always in there. Oh, I had no idea that it ever existed. That's probably because I just wanted to play the game. Yeah, I just wanted to play the game. And I think you can see from the success of games like Portal and 3D World that it's not an unpopular idea to have a oh, large oh. amount of different content. And um, 3D World? People... Yeah. You said not uh, uh, 3D Land? 3D World has a lot of different content. Yeah, but Portal doesn't. Okay. Uh, I haven't played Portal, so I guess I shouldn't be making claims about it. Oh. It's just that, I mean, in general, you hear people complain about sort of shoehorned tutorials where it's just a big block of text and you have to kind of awkwardly transition that into, or translate that into gameplay. But people actually really enjoy elegantly done tutorials that express a lot in very easy-to-digest doses. In general, I find that gamers enjoy that for the sake of having a wide variety of content, just because the variety is so enticing. Mm-hmm. I was playing Valkyrie Chronicles with Daniel. Or no, 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 I think it was when we were playing, when I was playing the Zelda Second Quest. Uh, the subject of tutorials, I believe, came up in that game, and one of the things that I said is, there was two points I we made, I know that for sure. One of them was that expecting every game to do the whole wordless tutorial thing, you know, like in Mega Man, because everyone keeps mentioning the Mega Man, Mega Man X video, is kind of naive and dumb. Because when you get something more complicated, especially something like a strategy game, good luck trying to figure out how to do that without text or words of any kind. So the first thing is I think some of people's problems is they overextend that design philosophy or that just, just that design that Mega Man does, and they think they can say that about any game. Like, oh, why does a game use text at all? So the complexity of the tutorial necessarily matches the complexity of the game. Yes. But you can still improve how you communicate that complexity. Yes, and in fact, I have an example of where even a game that was really simple actually managed to fail at that. <laughs> that was Star Sea Pilgrim. Oh, no, that was the entire point of that game. <laughs> I know, much to the, its own detriment, to where once you start getting into the actual game, you realize that, man, there's not a whole lot to it. You really can't just find a single dominant strategy and then just blaze through the rest of the game. And then you get that ugly factor of luck rearing its head in with the seeds. So the first thing I want... <laughs> Yeah, the first thing I want to get clear, though, is have we all played that game, Sarsi Pilgrim? No. Nope. nope. I have. I'm not very far. Oh. Oh! Wariofin, you, you're not very far. Right. So, holy crap, we can't spoil this. Um, Wait, it's a it's a game with a plot? No, 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 no. no. It's, a game, it's a game where a lot of playing it is not knowing how to play it. Oh. I made it to another point, so that's how far I got. You made it to another point? I, I don't know how to, if I should be specific, but... Another planet thing. Yeah. Yeah, because I've already beaten the game. 
I actually have like a ridiculous amount of hours put into it because I was trying to do it for a review and then I never did it. Anyways. So yeah, that's a game with a not so well conveyed um, tutorial, even though it's really simple and it has a really simple control scheme. Wait, so what? How is it not conveyed well? What does it do to not convey? See, the part is that this this would involve me giving away one of the most important mechanics in the game, and that's a spoiler oh. for Wario fan, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's been too long. I don't remember. Okay, damn it. Why? The other, why <laughs> I mean, why the focus thing, on me when Shouty hasn't played it? Yeah, and the other issue is there are certain key discoveries in the game that can definitely take some players to make. And that's because, and Richard actually wrote about this on the website, is that the order in which it presents things is kind of messed up to where it'll take you way longer to learn this one thing than it should have had it been done in a more proper order. And that's another one of the things to get at with these sort of wordless tutorials is that the order in which you present things really matters. So Starseed Pilgrim is an interesting example to consider for this topic because the entire game seems to be about defeating the player's attempts to learn, which is maybe the opposite of what we're discussing. Yeah, I was about to say, Starseed... I haven't played it, but from what I can tell, Starseed Pilgrim sounds like a game that's cryptic on purpose. It's really not the point of the game. You do have to... by the rules of the game because the thing is like you can still figure it out it's just there's a lot of things in the game that can make a a long time figuring it out because they're not put in a proper order and the thing is like the game does try to show you those things oh it really does but golem is right in that there is one that is supposed to riff on your expectations but it's only one (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know like just from what I can hear about a game like Starseed Pilgrim it just sounds like the the entire point of the game is you're supposed to just blunder around it's one of those weird things because um, I just checked the Steam store page Uh, it's gotten way more negative reviews and precisely (laughs) because of that reason too because of it being cryptic and obtuse so you see that the game has mechanics in it that are like actual mechanics and being cryptic it does not like comp- complement those mechanics. No, because here, I guess I'll. How much do I want to talk about this game? The no, thing it's is, okay. in order. Well, what, like Fox and Shouty, how much do you mind spoilers for Starseed Pilgrim? I don't, know. I don't I care. Don't want... Well, <laughs> I guess I don't care either. Then. Okay. See the seeds themselves and the way they grow. It's just a matter of simple testing. You're going to have a lot of conclusions about, okay, is does this affect the seed? Does the color of the thing that I put the seed into, does that affect it? Yes and no, and you're going to have to use a lot of testing to, to figure that out. And with some of them, like why does it grow this way versus growing the other way? That's an example of one of the tests. It's just a matter of testing. It's nothing cryptic. You just have to test it. Uh, the problem can come when there's too many, when there's a lot of things you can test for and when the seeds are random. So, that can involve a lot of, oh, crap, I forgot. Did I test this already before? What happens if I put it in this one? And because you're not given an order from which to test things, when you don't discipline your no- yourself enough to test in an organized manner, that definitely delays the learning process, which is why some people have a harder time with those seeds. 
I'm not one of them, but um, I can definitely understand that. But um, one of the other discoveries, and this is the one that I'm not going to give away, which is the one on Richard's review of the game, uh, I actually think is a bit more of a uh, an issue because it deals with how you play the entire game. So it just sounds like a chemistry game. It's not a chemistry game. Oh. I find that kind of uh, that kind of testing very alluring. Oh man! It has like a sandboxy element to it, I suppose, where you just kind of experiment and see what happens, and that that's cool. Well, I'm that not one for of, sandboxes. <laughs> that that is kind of why I'm drawn to the game because, like Adrian said, there's a lot of uh, mixed opinions on it on Steam, and then there's that whole Starseed Observatory, which is like. Well, either this game is doing something wrong or it's doing something right. I want to see what it's doing. <laughs> a little of both. It's doing good. It's doing good things and it's doing some not so good things. It's so, not all uh, bad. On the subject of cryptic tutorials, I I haven't played this game, but has anybody played Starship Damry? I've heard of it. Wait, no, oh yeah, I, I wrote a review on that for uh, Spider Duck. <laughs> yeah, that that I hear. Huh. Goom and I thought it was the bee's knees. Oh, so you both played it, and and that had a cryptic tutorial, didn't it? Yeah, but it's such a simple game. Oh. Yeah, it's like a visual novel, dungeon crawler type game. Oh. Adventure game. There are so few things that you can do. Like, in Starseed Pilgrim, you have a whole lot of options right from the get-go, whereas in Starseed... Starship... <laughs> Starseed... <laughs> whereas in... <laughs> Whereas in Starship Damry, you can really only do one or two things at a time, so that implicitly teaches you how to get through the game by limiting your options. It's just an adventure game. So since I don't have any experience with any of the games you guys are mentioning, I'm going to try and throw my own weight in here with uh, complex games and their tutorials. The ones off of my head are like city-building games or flight sims which, as part of the lore, has that immense level of complexity. And the way those are typically handled, from what I've seen, is, is since it's like almost impossible to do like the Mario Brothers level one thing, where you just have things learned naturally as part of a, something some organic level that stems from those mechanics, this would be like a series of uh, scenarios that are training scenarios that just show functionality one by one by one you can go through. Yeah. That, I guess that's a, a good thing to bring up because um, one of the ways, one of the other things, uh, and this is actually not in the article, but um, there was a Mark Brown video on the four-step level design for Mario. I think we've all seen that video before, but there's one part where he makes a little like snap at the fact that there's a part in Mario Galaxy where they do actually use text tutorials. And here's the thing. The parts of a game that you can teach organically, I don't know where to put it, is usually stuff that you can see happen right in front of you. It's stuff that's more direct and observable. Stuff like, you point the Wii remote at the screen, push the A button to blow the bubble around, that's not direct and observable. That's not as direct and observable as watching Mega Man run to a platform and the platform behind him falls. Unless you have, like, a guy, a picture of a guy on the screen with a Wii remote. <laughs> Um, so, Fox, how do you learn how to play a flight sim? Because those are infamously 
hard to break into. There, there are two ways I've seen where they try to teach it to you. Uh, the first is with gargantuan manuals that would probably take up as much space on a computer as the games do. Or... <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, and, and, you know, breaking down everything you can do is, is part of a training scenario. So, training scenario, how to start the plane, change your gears into such and such, flip switches and, and press button, turn it on, scenario over. Next scenario, move the plane some. It, it was just breaking it down into tiny edible chunks. Yeah, that sounds uh, good. And for uh, those kinds you, of, go, I was gonna say go. for those kinds of things, it, 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 I, I, I struggle to think of how you can make that more. I don't know, friendly. Well, the point is that it's supposed to be like real life, because all you're describing is how to actually fly a plane in real life. Yeah. yeah. Isn't this? I think Miyamoto has talked about something like that because he admitted that uh, I think he admitted that pilot wings was supposed to be a little hard to get into and and this was his basis for making Steel Diver to, to make it feel like you were actually trying to control a submarine Steel Diver is not hard to get into. Pilot wings is a little bit. Really? But I mean you can still get a plane off of the runway pretty easily in pilot wings. I think uh, pilot wings takes the flight sim genre and maybe arcadifies it. Like By that I mean making it so that you could pick it up and do something within a couple minutes. That's actually interesting because people usually are turned off by steel divers controls from what I understand. They're clunky but not esoteric or hard to understand whereas like a flight sim or sins of the solar empire you're just gonna bump around and not ever do anything unless you read <laughs> yep and you know what that's a it's a good thing you brought that up because sins of the solar empire uh it turns out that um there was literally one rule uh that kept me from learning how to play that game and it's oh. the only way was by going back through the first tutorial, I think, or what, no, 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 it was the second one actually, and reading that one line of dialogue that involved uh, logistics and development, and it was that every time, unlike other games like Age of Empires three or something, wait, whatever, I don't know, <laughs> unlike other games where you colonize something, when you colonize a planet in that game, it starts out as a detriment, so you have to invest in the civilian infrastructure to make the penalty go away. I didn't realize that, so that's why I was getting into these never-ending battles with pirates, where it felt like I couldn't build up fast enough in order to ward them off and deal with you know, the challenge of the game. Yeah, with a game like Sins, there are naturally going to be a lot of complexities, and if you happen to miss one, that's pretty important. It's sort of a catch-22 where it's necessary that they have to teach you all of these things to play the game, and you might just consider making a simpler game if one of them gets lost so easily. Yeah, I I don't think the tutorials in that game are well, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's not the tech that they use tech itself as bad. It's like, because when I look at other games like Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Sacred Stones... I got that when I was good. Good lord, like, when did Super Smash Brothers Melee come out? 2011? I was nine! 
I think I was nine or ten years old when I got that game, and I was able to play it and actually understand it. And that's because both Fire Emblem and Advanced Wars, they do the whole, you know, uh, text tutorial thing because, you know, you don't play those games in real time, so you kind of have to use no other way. They're not going to run through a level and stumble upon things. There's none of that. So they... Wait, hold on a second. Sacred Stones was 2005. 2005, was it? Then I was... Are you thinking about that other Fire Emblem? No, I was 12. 13. I don't know which one I'm thinking about then. But I was really (laughs) young when I got it. (laughs) Does it have Roy's dad or the twins? Uh, It had the twins. Okay, that's Sacred Stones. Okay, then I was much older than I thought. But the point is that it was something easy for me to get into, and it was a genre I never thought was interesting. Because I remember going, oh, that this is the kind of game it is when I first started it. But then I played through it, and I'm like, oh my god, I love this game. Am I remembering correctly that you get text, but you also get an opportunity to actually perform the action? Yes, and that was one of the major differences that uh, Sims did not do. And that is, it did not have that as much as I would have hoped. Because that whole, now you go do it, we're not going to tell you things, then move off to things. Now this part of the menu, now this part of the menu, now this thing you can do, and then never actually do any of it, uh, since was a lot of that. They did some of that in the first tutorial, but later on, they stopped. That is a huge amount of dev time you add, though. Sure, but to make a playable portion for each one of those tutorials. Sure, but uh, it's worth it. I mean, if they can do it with the first the first tutorial, at least be consistent and do it with the other ones. Like that actually does help. Like if they have enough time to do three expansions on this game, at least give enough of a shit about your tutorial. <laughs> do you, a tutorial expansion? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's the thing. They don't have a camp. They don't have a single player campaign to you know, really do scenarios to uh, really help you learn how to play, and that's the other advantage that the Fire Emblem and the Advanced Wars games have. Uh, and the thing is, that that was another reason, like, one of the reasons why it's so easy for me to forget that rule is because, and you can see my videos, they're, they're like, the first one was like 54 minutes, and they're like half an hour, that the more text you have to sit through to read, the easier it is to forget things. And that's why putting them into short pl- and short chunks and then have something playable with Fire Emblem uh, sunk into my memory so much better. But I also bet that in Fire Emblem, you need to know less in order to make a move than you do in Sins of the Solar Empire. Like, the amount of information needed to make one step in the game is less. If what you're saying is that Fire Emblem is a Lex complex game than Sins of the Solar Empire, you are right. Sins of the Solar Empire is real-time. There's more than just managing units. You're also managing, you know, your economy and what you build in that game. There's no building in Fire Emblem. And even Advanced Wars, there's only, like, two factories you got to worry about what units they build, but they build other units you fight with. So you're not worried about building military labs to research. There's no research trees in either of those games. So both of them are magnitude simpler. You're talking about, like, the total scope of things you can do, but all I mean to ask about is, like, in order to perform one action in the game, don't you need to know more in Sins of the Solar Empire than in Fire Emblem? That, like, the smallest chunk that you could possibly teach in Sins is larger than the smallest chunk you could possibly teach in Fire Emblem? Not really. Okay. 
because I mean, moving units, that's still fairly simple. Upgrading things, that's, that, you know, that's still fairly simple. It's when you have a lot of those simple things that then it gets more complicated. And then it's trying to understand which one do I want to go for first, because um, the order of what you decide to do does actually matter in this game. All right. So did anybody else look at the uh, Types of Tutorials article? I did. Mm-hmm. Yep, I have it in front of me right now as well. So we're all on the same page. All right, so that describes six different types of tutorials. It goes over two different types of tutorialist games, which I think we've covered quite a bit. It also talks about tutorial by exposition, a tutorial room, a contextual lesson, and a thematically relevant contextual lesson. Did anybody have any thoughts on what the article gain about pros and cons for any of these? Like, was it an off-base about anything, you think? Or I have to see, because to me, I, I sort of skimmed through it a bit, and um, basically I, I need to know what judgments it's making, because for the most part, it, it does just look like a simple list of things that's very neutral, that I'm like, yep, these are things they do in games. <laughs> Alright, well just as an example, for, say, the tutorial room, which is like a separate one-off area where they showcase the uh, the controls. It doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the game. They say that Jamestown did a good job doing something like that, and Bionic Commando did a bad job doing something like that. Because Bionic Commando's tutorial room teaches you things that you don't learn later in the game, whereas Jamestown teaches you everything you know right off the bat. I can agree Bionic Commando's tutorial rooms always left me puzzled, and then even when I did know the relevant mechanic or system or whatever, the description of it never clicked with me. I just felt like the writing could have been better. In Jamestown, I honestly didn't remember it had a tutorial. (laughs) Well, that's because you're a a shmup master, Golem, so... (laughs) That's interesting because it has to more to do with the fact that Bionic Commando's tutorial uh, may not have been as well done. And there is a, I guess you could say, a detriment to teaching things too early to the point by the time you get to it, you still don't feel good at it. And there's also the issue that um, Bionic Commando, I found that game um, at times cumbersome to control. Uh, did, did you play it on console or PC? Yes, I did play it on console. Yeah, you need a it, mouse for that it, game. Yeah, you need a mouse. You need a goddamn mouse for that game. <laughs> because trying to do it with any sort of um, nimbleness, uh, the slow aiming speed of an analog stick is not going to help you. But it is so good with a mouse. Yeah, I, I want to play it with a mouse. But yeah, I think we also want to drive the difference on... The, between a poorly executed tutorial versus um, some that are going a bit more extreme and just saying that like the whole idea of doing this at all is poor concept. And that's why I kind of alluded to the Mark Brown video earlier where a simple signpost teaching you how to control the bubble thing in Mario Galaxy, like that was a bad thing. Like that, I kind of like cringe at, like, are, are you for real? <laughs> like what other way are they supposed to do that? And even then, it's like it's it's like what what one two boxes that you read and then you're done with and then you get right into it. On the other hand, uh, for a tutorial room where you do not have text, 
there's the wall jumping segment in Super Metroid where you're locked in a room and you can't get out of it except by wall jumping. Mm -hmm. And they try to show you how these little creatures are able to wall jump. And it's mega frustrating because there's no text telling you what the relevant information is, which is to say that uh, when you lean against a wall and then turn away from it, there is a specific frame in Samus's animation that tells you now you can press jump to do a wall jump. And when you watch the animals do that, that's not conveyed in any way. Or I didn't understand that based on what they were doing anyway. Yeah. So I could have used some text. It, Game it, just told you that you can wall jump. It, see, what makes Super Metroid so funny is that um, there, there's a lot of nuances to the controls that make that more difficult than you would expect it to be. One is that you cannot, you absolutely cannot push up when changing. And the thing is, because your thumb is in a ball socket and it moves in an arc, it has a tendency to push up going from left to right to left or left to right. So what happens is that Samus ends up aiming up and exiting her somersaulty state, which is what you used to wall jump with. Would you say the game is built for people without ball socket thumbs? <laughs> you just have to get really good with your thumbs to do that. Like, once you understand that property of Samus's movement, then you can do it no problem. Lord knows that helped me a lot once I figured out, oh, that's why it's not working. That's why I'm, like, jumping two feet off the wall, but then just stopping in the middle of the air. It is also really satisfying to pull off when you know how to do it. There's a certain flow to it. Yeah, and they definitely... Yeah, I agree. But what about the other animal uh, that teaches you how to do a thing you don't know about? There are so few things that it does that I picked it up the first time. You see it run, you see it crouch, you see it jump. Those are all things that you can tie to explicit mechanics or actions that Samus has. A particular frame in Samus's animation is not something you trigger manually, so that's more subtle and harder to pick up on. Yeah, Mm. same thing. Aiming up cancels your somersaulting state. That's a bit harder to pick up. Uh, I also got a real kick remembering the fact that I actually did a, did a something frame perfect with that shine spark because when I was playing it on emulator, the diagonal movements were actually turned off, and I had to go back in and turn it on because I was having problems. Like, how was I able to do this the first time, and now it's not working? And then, you know, we figured that out. I also want to throw in that um those are isolated, and that is in the Bionic Commando tutorial. It, pretty much goes through your whole moveset. Whereas the Super Metroid, it's just the wall jump, and then you go back to whatever it is you're doing. Or the Shine Spark, and then back to whatever it is you're doing. And the Bionic Commando one, it is a bit more of the one-after-another kind of thing. You do... Did you finish Bionic Commando? No. You do get later tutorial rooms that when you actually need to do the throw-something-up-and-punch-it move, you get the tutorial room for it again. Right. So that is is a little more in keeping with Super Metroid. You know, this is interesting because the article does single out Metroid for tutorial rooms done right. I'm the pretty sure it's from Super. No, no, it's not even talking about those. I think I'm pretty sure it means the GameCube and Wii Metroid games, not for having like a tutorial room sectioned off, but because in the beginning of Metroid Prime, say you have access to a bunch of things on the ship. 
And then uh, when you crash land, you, you lose access to all that. And it, it actually complements the game for doing that because it says that you, you play Metroid to explore, so you're excited to see what you get next. So it doesn't bother you that you lose the uh, grapple hook at the beginning or something like that. Right, that the power in itself is not what you want, but you just want the new areas, which I disagree with. In some games, I, I could see that, but in Metroid, a large part of the fun is getting to use the new thing. Yeah, I, I, I do remember some people, like, that became a joke by prying to <laughs> lose everything you have, even though you already had it to start with. And that's why it was almost like a big deal when Prime 3 came out. I was like, hey, everything you start with, start the game with, you keep it. <laughs> Yourself and I started Rayman 2 last night, and there's kind of a funny part of the beginning where uh, Rayman's captured, and he's, like, dejected and sitting in a prison cell, and he just tells his friend Globox, oh, I lost all my powers. And, like, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, it makes sense when you're in, like, a prison, they took away, they took away your weapons, so Rayman's powers are like his weapons. What, they <laughs> stripped his, like... Your ability to cling... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they, they confiscated all those abilities. They they took his hands and his little ears, or his hair, or whatever that thing is he flies with. His brain. Ew. <laughs> he flies by swishing his brain like a helicopter. <laughs> I guess um to also do the tutorial room, because I know Rodea, the Sky Soldier, I guess has one that will qualify, says it. What makes that one so goofy is that it is the kind where they don't give you a lot of time before they stop you to move on to the next thing. So you learn about the flight thing, right? And then I literally, like, I have my video uploaded already, so you can all go and watch this for yourself. I don't even get to finish two flight arcs before the game fades to black, literally pulls me back a distance, and then tells me, all right, now try the flight thing again. Part of the problem is because they made that area so small that they had to cut you off and drag you back to a point to make you do it again rather than giving you, all right, here's a big section where that you need to fly through. I will fly through. The other problem is that the order that they did things is a little strange where they'll teach you things like, all right, here's a fly. Now fly to a target. Now uh, use the boost attack. Now fly again, which is like, wait a minute, isn't that the thing you should have made me do after the first flight tutorial is fly to the waypoint whatever which is a further off distance i would disagree in that the way i recall it rodea teaches you the individual mechanics and then teaching you to get to something by a waypoint is a more complicated application of the first mechanic so that makes sense to come after introducing all of the basic mechanics okay I guess what I should just say then that um, the they put the waypoint I guess a little bit too close that you don't or before they move on to the next one like I feel like at least give me some time to learn the flying thing because once they started putting me into the uh, the boost attack tutorial I'm like I still want to just fly around a bit like I still need to figure this thing out because uh, the fly arc in that game was actually pretty unique. And every time they stop pulling you back, they actually give you they give you a little bit more advice on some more nuanced things. Like when you move the Wii remote, they even say this in text itself. Imagine like you're sliding it around, and you know little things like that. So yeah, 
I still think it's goofy. You can go see for yourself. And what I mean about them having to literally like stop you and pull you back just so they can say, all right, you did the boost attack thing. Now do it again because the area is so small that they couldn't just put two in a row. Like, here's one of those diamond things here. Here's one right after it. Instead, it's break one diamond. All right, now we're going to grab you, pull you back. Now break another one that we put like slightly to the right of it. Like, to me, that's just silly. Which is strange because the game has a lot of really big areas. Yes! Like, the first area is freaking huge. It's like, why was... And that's the first thing it seems like. Why wasn't this the tutorial area? Look how much space they give me to just fly around versus that other one where it's so tiny that I can't even jump over this gap without them having to stop me to move on to the next thing or say, all right, now do it again. So that was the tutorial room part. The problem I have with tutorial rooms, and this really isn't... It's really something specific to certain kinds of games, is that uh, it's, it would be really easy to just show the player everything you can do, but in doing that, you also kind of impart a certain sort of mindset of how the game thinks you, it's how the game is telling them they should play the game, as opposed to letting them devise their own play style. Yeah. I guess I would just want to say, uh, give us an example, because um, I do agree that um, a lot of this is very example-based. So, because I mean, it's not like I've never had a tutorial where I felt frustrated before, felt, uh, you know, whatever. So yeah, yeah well, example, I mean. the example I was thinking of, and I, I can't remember if it fully fits because I haven't played it in a while, is Deus, Deus Ex 1 has it has a training it's training room, but it's it's sort of a, a longer building thing. But it, I know it shows you how to do everything. It shows you how to kill robots, open doors, move bodies. But the, the bigger part and larger appeal of Deus Ex is being able to get through a, a level in so many different ways. There are levels that fold on themselves. They, they're, they're huge, complex, labyrinthine areas that allow you to do your achieve your objectives in tons of different ways. But the training room really just gives you, shows you how to do things, but doesn't express that openness. So I think in a way, training rooms can be sort of deceiving when compared to the rest of the games. I can speak to that because I got through the tutorial just fine and then when I got to the first level I just felt like I was dumped into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Wow. I had a I had an incredibly different experience from you, Craig. Because um, Deus Ex was actually a game that uh, I got bored of playing. Oh man! Because yes, because the they give you so little ammo, and when I learned that the guards were dumb, I, and I mean like really dumb, you could just use the baton and whack them all to death to non-lethally take them down, and they would stay that way. Whack them to death to non-lethally take them. Down. <laughs> okay, my bad. You can just whack them unconscious and you can just do that with every guard in the game and because there's so much space between them it's not like actually they don't even react to the guards laying on the ground like hey what happened to you and wake them up like in you know Metal Gear Solid or something so like once I found out those AI quirks and I found it out found them out within like the first level um boy did that make that game a whole lot simpler for me and that's what made it so easy for me to just sneak up on every bastard, whack them out, and then kind of move on. And that's why I think by the third level, when I was on the rooftops, uh, that's when I, I, kind of, I was just kind of done. 
so yeah, that that's what happened to me with that game. I'm sorry, I might have went a little bit aside. We were talking about the tutorials and how Deus Ex goes from like a strict, here's how to shoot, here's how to you know swim around, here's all well, the things you can do, and then it throws you out into this plague open area. But to be honest, I feel like that's not that um, I don't know, it just doesn't sound that unusual to me for it to do that. Like the tutorial itself is not going to be this big open area with no clean order of the things you can do. So Fox, it sounds like there's a disconnect between Deus Ex teaching you what you can do and teaching you like the general mindset you will have while playing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that can be really uh, just as useful as knowing how to play the game or like the mechanics is knowing the different ways you can use them. Or, but it's kind of hard to impart that sort of creativity to a player. So it's another level of freedom the game expects you to uh, make use of. I don't know. I feel like Deus Ex, uh, the way it did its tutorial, is like, here's here are your mechanics, here's how they work, and then here's this... Because it, it has to do... Like, the difference is knowing what your mechanics are, and then the other one is the way levels are arranged. And I feel like Deus Ex is one of those games that it's it's actually totally fine that it did that, and I think it worked out. Because, like, w- what are they supposed to teach you about these labyrinthine levels? Like, yeah, like, what are they supposed to teach you? Like, are, but, go around on, like, is it supposed to tell you different paths? Like, it doesn't need to tell me that. I can see them. You, you wouldn't necessarily see them if you weren't looking for them, and you wouldn't know to go looking for them unless there was a suggestion that they were there. Personally, I needed, like here is the very next step that you take, whereas a wide-open environment requires a level of planning that I wasn't ready for, and, like, forethought, rather than just kind of go to the first thing that you see and do the first thing that you think of. Whereas you might be able to do that in other games that I play, like Mario. That's where I feel... I think that makes a different game. Because I was able to do that with David Specs. Like... All the things in the training room was pretty much all I needed to really play into that game. And learning, well, I actually already knew about the Deus Ex being a kind of an open game. Although not quite, it wasn't quite what I expected it to be, though, so that was kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, it's like, what what did they need to teach you in a, in a basic, what I'm going to say, a, a wide level design that wasn't conveyed to you within the standard uh, training room. It's hard for me to say explicitly because I can't perfectly remember the training area, but I, just one of the things that sort of really clicked with me in the game that made me think this was a game I was really going to enjoy was seeing, as I was going through a level, that the path I took led to other paths that, I don't know, I, I, have, I have pictures in my head that I can't convey. It's like that Hitman stuff you did. Yeah. Yeah. I can show you a flow chart. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I don't know. But it's like, does the, does the game need to outright say to you, like, hey, there are actually other ways you could have played this game? Well, yeah, I think, I think that's... Like, that's that, that, that can be your first impression. And if your impression of the game is going to be straightforward, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, you're, you're going to either be soured, think it's going to... or think it's going to be a certain way, and when you see something different, you might feel like you've been cheated or lied to. It, it, it seems inconsistent to me to say otherwise. I feel like we might have actually 
okay, here, I'm going to say two things. One is that I feel like this almost isn't even about tutorials again, but, like, what to expect out of the game. Like, I guess the difference between knowing a game having one path versus many, but I do agree that Dishonored did actually, like, bring that up. Like, there are multiple paths. Basically, they straight up encouraged you to look for different things because they put a such, they actually had, like, a picture showing, like, four different ways you could have gone through an area, like, mm -hmm. basically saying, try things out. And I, I know for a fact Deus Ex doesn't have anything like that. And, I, and that sounds perfect. I understand what you're coming from. I wouldn't call it a tutorial, but just a way of looking at the game, I guess. Yeah, you. I think it is relevant to the discussion of tutorials because it brings up the question of what falls under the scope of tutorial. Is it simply what keys you press, or should it speak more to how you approach the game and what's the... How far do you go in that direction? Here's Where's something line? I was thinking of earlier: is to take a to make it to make a definition of a tutorial. I, I was kind of thinking of I think it's Sid Meier's definition of a video game as a series of interesting choices. And to make a tutorial would be to lay out the rule set for those choices. I mean, you you, you get to like a Sudoku puzzle and you can't solve it unless you know how you can solve it. So a rule set. For how you make those choices. Yeah. Huh. That's an interesting way to look at it. I think I could get into that. Wait, I'm sorry. Could you, could you repeat that? I was trying to look up for the Dishonored picture. Oh, sure. No problem. Uh, well, I was I was saying, I think, if you wanted to come up with, with a loose definition of what a tutorial is, uh, a good example would be to derive from Sid Meier's definition of a video game being a series of interesting choices. Uh, and... And a tutorial based off of that would be a rule set on how to make those choices. Something that keys you into how you might weight one decision against another? Yeah. And, and the first example I can think of is if you're given a Sudoku block, you sort of need to know how to solve that in order to even begin solving it. And if there was a such a tutorial for Deus Ex, they might say, if you prefer the baton, take, you know, consider this path, or if you prefer the sniper rifle, consider this option. Something along and, those lines, yeah. Yeah. But that's what I was getting at with, uh, with Deus Ex. There's nothing that keys you into those choices within the tutorial. Yeah. And Hit Hitman in particular had that problem that I was hesitant to call it the training room. Are tutorial rooms just training rooms? Think of it like... Um, Same thing, yeah. Star Fox 64, having um, that little tutorial thing. When I think of tutorial rooms, I think of a room that the game puts you in, and, it's, and it tells you how to play, and you can't leave that room until you've solved whatever the game needs you to make sure that you don't play poorly for the rest of the game. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, okay. I, I thought we were all kind of on that. You know what has a fantastic uh, training room? Is what? The... Tomb Raider series, the original ones, uh, 1, 2, and 3, I think. Oh, we got the mansion. Yeah, the mansion. That was so cool. Yeah. You can run around and you learn, things, you can learn all sorts of things at your own pace. There's, you've got the, there's even secrets you can find within it, which conveys the sense of exploration in the main game. And I, Laura talks to you, right? Yeah. That's so cool. I thought what Shadi was getting at was when the game stops you to do a tutorial within the game and not just at the beginning. Hmm. Right? It could be both. Oh. Like, you can't progress through this 
area, unless you know how to make Mario jump. Well, if you don't know how to make Mario jump, then you can't you can't beat that Goomba. I guess. All right. Here, here's another judgment I found. Are are we? Is it okay if I switch gears a bit? Sure. Or does okay. So um, there's a picture in this article of Just Cause 2 where it basically just shows all the controls and all the web buttons and what they do. Oh, right, yeah. The tutorial band position. Basically, never do that. Uh, I just want to make one thing clear. Uh, Just Cause, that only is in the demo of Just Cause 2. The actual game does have, you know, normal-ass tutorials uh, that they set up um, with the missions. What's interesting is that Luigi's Mansion has that paired with a training room where EGAD has you suck in ghosts, and then after that, they show you, here's how, here's everything you learned. And so, I like it in Luigi's Mansion because it solidifies what you've already done. It's not you trying to learn solely from the picture, but instead it's like, now you have this picture that you can tie all these verbs onto, and that helps you digest the information, I feel. Yeah. I hate the training room in Luigi's Mansion. You, you what? You hate it? Yeah, because it's not indicative of what is to come in the game. It's just like a... It's more like a obstacle course, really, in comparison to what the game is going to be. Because when I first played Luigi's Mansion and I was in the training room, I was terrible at it. But when I played the game uh, normally, um, I found it easier to catch ghosts that way. Do you mean how the t- training room doesn't really tell you that the game has puzzles? No, I just mean that, like, just the, the training room just felt so detached from what the actual game was. You just like, sucked up ghosts. Yeah, but, no, it's just that, um, I just, I guess I didn't get it. Like, I didn't know I had to wait, uh, to shine the flash, I didn't know I had to shine the flashlight and then suck up the ghost using the, the training room, uh, in mind, but... I learned how to do that more easily in the regular game. You mean for the special ghosts? No, I mean it's for ghosts in general. Oh. I think EGAD says you can't suck them in until you see their heart, right? Yeah. Yeah, but... I mean, we yeah, can I just watch know. it, pull up a video of that, but whatever. Just the training room, I felt, was kind of... More like a mini-game than an actual test. Well, not a test, but like a tutorial. Okay, so a little too hands-off-ish. Yeah. But anyway, anyways, uh, for these picture things, yeah, they're not bad, but uh, just don't make that the only thing you have to learn your game. Uh, that's a fair enough assessment, especially if it has as many functions as just cost two here has. That's probably, I think, the only thing, only kind of judgment uh, tutorials that I think people are fair to were fair to make on. I think Igor after even made that same joke in the Mega Man video. Of course, he did. Yeah. Is is there anything to uh, to talk about for these type of tutorials where they just show the uh, controls and say have at it? I don't see that all that often, actually. So it's not there's not much to comment on. All I do know is that the Just Cause demo did do that, and boy, did that not actually help at all with <laughs> the game. I've really only seen that in demos. They also uh, give. Um, arcades as an example. Yeah, with fighting games it makes sense because you're only going to be doing one move at a time, but certain moves have like three inputs behind them. So it's hard to remember how to do any single move. 
So it's sort of like a cheat sheet there of even how to how to even accomplish one move. Yeah, fighting games in general, they do more sort of leave you on your own to figure out how to play the game. Pushing the buttons, seeing them do the attacks, like that's simple enough, but it's learning how to use them that that's where the hard part of fighting game comes in. I also wanted to mention that the tutorial by exposition is is hard just because, like, when Adrian was mentioning that there was one bit of information he lost when he went through the first tutorial in Sins of the Solar Empire. Or is it Sins of a Solar Empire? Sins of a Solar Empire. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Like, there was one bit he forgot. And so when you show the player, here's just everything you can do ever, all at once, it's really easy to lose one of those particular things. Yeah. The more rules you have, the more important it is to sort of, I, I guess pacing is what I want to say, and careful use of text because this is this is why I said what I said earlier about being careful with the comparison with Fire Emblem Sins of the Solar Empire is that you can't easily overwhelm a player if you give them too much text at once without them uh, going out and using it for themselves. Uh, it's also really easy to look over too. Yeah, even even games that don't use that much text but sort of just throw a bunch of different concepts at once, like the beginning to Geese, Oath, and Felgana. Like, who was with me when that happened? I think I was. I think you were, yeah, where it literally just throws all these moves, like, here's everything you can do with Adol, and I had to pay a lot of attention to remember all of that shit. Because uh, I, I've, I've dealt with one of those games before. But, uh, yeah. And you have to read carefully, too, because he has three different jump attacks that you can do that can really screw you over if you don't know how they work. But uh, I dealt with it pretty quickly, but that's going because I've actually dealt with that kind of thing in games before. I don't remember which ones, though. Uh, but yeah, that, that's not exactly what I would call a, a good way to do a tutorial, which is to info dump on them like that. And that relates to, Greg, what you were saying about being able to forget things when you give too much things at once. Uh, the article also talks about how there's like a, a catch-22 of sorts when trying to uh, teach combos to players, since you have to use them as a reference, but um, it's also going to be difficult to, to teach everybody to do everything. Just so we're on the same page, what do you mean by combo? Like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. Or, I guess, fighting games, too, because there's no way arcade cabinets can put up all the uh, moves that in modern fighting games can do. So when you say combo, you mean a string of hits that locks an enemy into stun? Right. Yeah. Okay. The, the key thing is that um, they're inescapable. Like, once you start this string and you do it just right, you're going to land all the hits. They can't uh, defend or do anything. That's that's uh, what it means to do a combo versus you hitting them and following up and then just messing up and not reacting in time. I just had a really exciting memory. <laughs> the first Devil May Cry has uh, an entire tutorial difficulty. So it's a game where a lot of the combos revolve around tossing an enemy up into the air either so that you can juggle them with other enemies or just so that you can open up different things to do with them. And in the normal mode, that gets kind of complicated because you have to do a specific launcher move, but on the automatic easy difficulty, 
I think that's what it's called. It does all of that juggling stuff for you so that you can see how you are supposed to play and then apply that to the more difficult controls when you switch over to normal mode. And that was a really exciting kind of tutorial because it spoke to more than just here are what the buttons do. It gave me some idea of what the proper strategy for approaching the game was. Oh, wow. So, I did not so know. it showed you the cool ways you could take care of the enemy, but not exactly what the move was to take care of the enemy? So in Devil May Cry, if you just if you have it on automatic easy and you just mash the attack button, you will automatically do stuff like launch enemies into the air, which in the normal gameplay might require combining two different buttons in order to do the launcher move. So you see the move that you should be doing without having to do the complicated button press. But it is gratifying to then bring that understanding to normal mode because it's not an arbitrary layer of difficulty that you have to do the launcher move on your own because in automatic easy it's all it's all done for you you have no decisions to make whereas in normal mode you might decide to launch early or launch late and to do it in different contexts so you get more freedom in its application i see actually you know what i think bayonetta does that too actually Ah, they have a different difficulty for teaching you what combos do? Yeah, yeah, there's an automatic easy in, in Bayonetta, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And and you can, uh, if, you, if you beat it on easy, you can actually unlock the ability to, to do that automatic combo thing on other difficulties. Oh, so that's cool. That's, that's actually an instance where things being automated actually helps you learn a game. Yeah. Devil May Cry has a lot of different moves you can do, and I found myself lost, so it was helpful that there was a mode where they suggested one way of using all of the different options. Right. Shouty, could you... I wanted to ask you about the tutorial rooms in Kirby. Or the, I'm sorry, the thematically relevant contextual lesson. Oh, yeah, Kirby does do that. Like, in the very beginning of the game, it's in the first level... Uh, Kirby Triple Deluxe, you'll just walk and suddenly a, a sign will pop up and tell you how to play. You press A to jump, B to inhale, and you can also run or slide. It, the game just uses literal signposts to tell you what to do. Oh, like the, the pig in Donkey Kong Country Returns. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, those are good. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, Wario Land 4 does that too. I saw in Daniel's video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my first thought when I saw that. That entire Where's... tutorial room. Yeah. Level. I, I used just... Kirby so I could lure and shout into the podcast. So. <laughs> you didn't? Yeah. There are also um, other subtle things in that tutorial that I would not have picked up on had Daniel not brought it up, and that's things like the variants to Wario's jump height where they deliberately... Uh, stacked the platforms for going upwards in such a manner that you will learn about controlling Wario's height so you can actually jump up those faster versus if you were always holding down the A button and jumping to his fullest height. Little things like that um, that Daniel picked up on that I never noticed. Uh, one of the cool things about the tutorial in that game, and that's actually a thing Nintendo does a lot that most people don't even pick up on, especially in Zelda games. Which means that they're doing their job, right? It's supposed yep. to be subtle. Yeah. So the times when they're not subtle or where they can't afford to be subtle, people apparently lose their shit. 
Well, I lose my shit when I have to replay it, and it's not interesting because I already know everything. Yeah, I don't find that a big deal. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That that's just that conversation doesn't go anywhere. It's like I like. Yeah, actually, that's a neat topic to discuss. What about tutorials and replayability? You can turn off the tutorial notifications in Sonic Colors, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make a big difference because they never stop you from playing. It's more just Tails won't talk to you as much. Oh. Yeah. The I was just the same. The challenge is the same. It's kind of like the same thing in Link to the Past, where you're always going to do that uh, beginning dungeon, uh, even if you already know everything. Same. Yeah, but I know Pikmin is a game that's replayable because you can beat it at different times. But every time you want to start it up, Omar has to do his spiel about finding Pikmin and his little notes. So do you find that cumbersome? It's not as cumbersome, because you can just skip the text boxes by pressing the B button. Yeah, that's so it's not that, that it, bad. It, it's such an easy thing to do, and like both Pikmin and Zelda is just, if you don't want to read it, just just push the button. Yeah. <laughs> push I'll, the button. They, they deliberately put in a thing where if you hold B, you, you just like go lightning speed through the text. So. Yeah, but in, Pik- in Pikmin 2, uh, like the first couple days are tutorials in their own right. Because you have to, like, uh, do... Well... Cause it takes you a while to get the different Pikmin varieties. Yeah. No, no, what so it is is that... No, what it is is that you have two captains instead of one this time, so it, it's like it's telling you how to use the two, two captains. Yeah, this is uh. how you This is how you um, divide tasks between your two captains, and we literally divided your two captains in certain sections, but this is what you want to do in the main game to make that money within the... Uh, non-existent time limit, yeah. Yeah, so I think that, um, going further with the Pikmin topic, uh, Pikmin 3, I feel like that does it so much better, because, um, as you keep getting captains, the game stops you to do a task that you need to do anyway to move forward, and then it just lets you go. So, is that to say, I, I started Pikmin 2, but it was forever ago, so forgive me. In Pikmin 2, do you start out with two captains, whereas in Pikmin 3, you gradually gain the additional captains? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that in Pikmin 3, they can still you give they can still give you interesting tasks for one captain because one captain is simple enough. Mm-hmm. And then once you're comfortable with those interesting tasks, move on to the second and then the third. Yeah. Fox, did you have any thoughts about Pikmin? It's colorful. Good. Good. You're very observant. <laughs> Are there any uh, RTSs you've played with bad or good tutorials? I haven't played any in a while. I can't think of any. I'm trying to think of a StarCraft, if, if that had any. But that's one of those things where I, I typically view the campaign as a tutorial, if there is one. What What about your precious uh, Dungeons & Dragons-style games? Uh, how are they with tutorials? RPGs have a tendency to be overly wordy in the beginning, and it, it stresses me out to no end. Like, like that's, paint, paint that's, and all that? Those those can usually avoid it. Some of them can. Uh, they can. They also like to show things in the manuals. Uh, I think. I think JRPGs are more the ones that tend to be overly wordy in the beginning. Oh, so when Chris Avalon does it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the narrative is is the point. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's one of the narratives in JRPGs. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of um, examples. All I know is that. Um, 
the tutorial in Final Fantasy VIII for the GF system or Junction, whatever the hell it's called, uh, <laughs> confused the hell out of a lot of people. And it's one of those things they do only once. They kind of info dump on you at the very beginning and never tell you again. And <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things that give people a hard time. Yeah, that and Final Fantasy VII, I think that has a mandatory explanation of materia. I wish I could skip through. On my second time through, those were just me hitting like circles as fast as I could and looking and just waiting for it to be over. It's nice in games like Super Mario RPG where Toad asks you, "Is this your first time playing?" Yeah, yeah, that should be mandatory. Yeah, Toad yeah. should be in Final Fantasy VII. It should be in every game. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like generally with um, I guess strategy games, there's just going to be a lot more text, so the option to skip can probably benefit more. Mm-hmm. Even with something like um, Final Fantasy XI, Jesus Christ. Uh, Is that an expansion? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm stupid. I meant to say Final Fantasy XII. Uh-huh. There's actually a lot to explain in that game. But if you do reach a point where you're advanced enough, um, even then mashing, trying to mash A, uh, it'll still take you a while. I don't know. Even then, I didn't feel like that big of a deal, so... I'm still on that boat of, like, just push B, that's it, it's not that hard. If it's skippable, I'm going to be more lenient towards it, but when it takes control away from you, pulls up the menu, slicks, clicks through the menu on its own, and forces you to watch all that, that can be really annoying. Because that is the thing, like, Paper, or not Paper Mario, Mario and Luigi, that's a game that I'm, I'm fairly certain did that, where they pull up your suitcase and let you look at it, and... It never bothered me. I don't know. It, it de- I guess it depends on the complexity of the game and how much you're going to be scrolling through, I guess. I'm trying to think. I thought I read about a game, and I can't remember, that it could tell how skilled of a player you were doing the, the first few parts so it would skip over the tutorials automatically for you. Well, that sounds cool. Are you talking about Call of Duty? Am I? No, I don't know. I thought it was they- something... They do. Call of Duty has a training area. I think it's Modern Warfare Two or One, where they grade you based on how well you do the last portion of the shooting gallery, and that I oh no, it determines the difficulty of the game. I think that's what it did. I don't know. Like, a, sorry. No, no, no. I, 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 you guys pretty much get where I, what I was going to say. Yeah, I was gonna say God Hand does a similar thing where. The way how well you play it up to difficulty on you automatically, but it doesn't yeah. skip anything for you. Yeah, that seems like more of a difficulty thing though than really a tutorial thing, because mm-hmm. it's still the kind where they where they're just changing the enemy's damage values or health values or whatever. It's not like you still didn't do that part where you learned the basics of the game. Anyways, what subject was this that we were on? How did we get here? <laughs> We could talk about contextual lessons, I guess. I was going to ask about, well, I guess it's related to what I was thinking about tutorials being integrated into the game. And and I think half of you saw this coming. Twilight oh my Princess. <laughs> Wait, what? Like how the first area of Twilight Princess is a bunch of gopher errands that you got to do. And that's what you meant by the contextual lesson? That's what I think of a contextual lesson as being. I thought contextual lesson was like you see a signpost rather than the errand thing. Well, I guess that's true too, but 
also, I didn't really know where where this article was categorizing what I wanted to talk about, so I was like, okay, where am I going to fit this? <laughs> so that's how you would classify the Zelda thing as a contextual lesson. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of what it is anyway, I guess, because you're getting text boxes instructing you. But yeah, um, yeah I don't know where else to fit because you you are doing a bunch of first timey sort of stuff. But it's being done through the story of the game rather than being like a sectioned off tutorial room or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, so, the difference here seems mostly um, in thematic and presentation. In Skyward Sword, I remember one of the very first things you have to do is climb up a building and get a dog for a teacher. And there's so little going on. It's so little skill required of you and you have to sit through so much text that um are we talking like tutorial text or the character talkie text character talkie text so he's like oh, oh you know, i lost my puppy up there and etc etc and like i don't care i just want to get through this so i can get to a part where i can actually take damage <laughs> and um skyward sword has like about an hour of that kind of errand where you're walking around talking to people climbing on stuff but you can never take damage, and so I just sort of zone out. I have to ask, they look like they were pushing the story of Skyward Sword way harder than any other Zelda game. Basically, what I'm asking is, is there a lot more story in that game compared to the usual Zelda? I thought it was in keeping with Twilight Princess and uh, Wind Waker. Yeah, it's it's about on par, I thought. It's just, it's a bit more lore I guess. If, if it's It's really more marketing hype of the lore, really. Because it's supposed okay. to be the starting point for a bunch of the things. Anyways, what was the big deal about getting the teacher's pet? Oh, just that I don't like doing errands. But, but it's a way to teach the player to do things. Uh, what was it teaching, actually? That's what I mean. So, oh, so that one in particular, you had to run up a wall, you had to jump over a gap, you had to climb on some brushes, and you had to pick up something. So it taught you a, a handful of mechanics in this really short area, and uh, if you've never played a Zelda game before, it's really effective. Okay. And what do you do after that? I honestly don't remember the rest of the tutorial. I think you have to go find the headmaster, and then you have to go find your bird. It's pretty long, and I don't remember most of it. Okay, because I'm like... If that's something they make you do once, it's like... Right, any one thing is not cumbersome, but it's the length of them strung together. Okay. Eh. So, uh, do, do you think there should be a way to... Like, not just in Zelda games, I'm sure there's countless other examples that aren't coming to the top of my head here, but games where you are doing those kind of errands for the townsfolk, do, do you think there should be a way to, to bypass that somehow? That's a tricky question, because... Like, as someone who is mostly interested in Zelda for the game as a collection of, like, rules, uh, sure, I would love that. But Zelda also has a lot of effort put into its fiction, and by just skipping that part, you miss a lot of the fiction. So I imagine it would be pretty detrimental to the experience, even though I would enjoy it. Really? Well, you, you wouldn't miss it the first time through, theoretically, right? That'd be more of a convenience for multiple... Uh repeated playthroughs, right? Yeah. Because when Wayfan was talking, I was thinking of uh, Fallout New Vegas' 
got a tutorial quest right off the bat, but as with any other quest, you can choose choose to piss off and wander off into the wasteland and do whatever. So, and your on your, on your first playthrough, it's it's worthwhile to do everything and, and and chat with these folks. But if you want to do something else, you're free to walk off. The difference there is the style of storytelling, where the Fallout series in general goes more for stories that you craft by deciding what quests you do, whereas Zelda has a more structured story where the plot is much more set in stone, and there are benefits and downsides to each style, but it's important to Zelda that you experience predetermined plot things, whereas I don't think that's as important to Fallout. Right, okay. So, what was the complaint about skipping these? Are these are these initial plot points... Are they critical, or are they just tutorial-related? or are they Yeah, they develop Link's relationship with other characters and part of the lore and etc. Okay. So it's not just, like, get me something from the fridge. It's like, get me this thing from the fridge that has been handed down from generation <laughs> to generation. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. The ancestral toast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind, it's a little green. Who keeps toast in the fridge? <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> no, I'm keep kidding. Right. I, don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. Um, Anyways. Shall you play Zelda games? What's your take on this? Well, it was on Ocarina of Time's fault. Is it? What? Yeah. No? No, maybe, maybe it's uh, Link to the Past's fault. There you go. <laughs> well, not even. Well, kind of. No. But I don't even know what, what fault of what. That you have these long tutorial segments in the beginning of the game. They're not long. What was Link what? to the Past's? Uh, I can't even think. I mean, you get you the sword from your belt. You go from your house to the. Okay, no, it wasn't long. It was actually, it was done a lot more elegantly than it was in later Zelda games. And you can. There's still like enemies and stuff. You can still. You are in danger from the very beginning of the game once you leave your house. You're not. There are no enemies. They're like our guards surrounding the castle. Yeah, but they don't attack you. Oh wait, they, oh those are evil. But they were. Uh, oh, I honestly don't remember. But they, I'm pretty sure they they don't attack you. you can't well, there's got to be enemies yes. inside the dungeon that attack you, right? Yeah, after you get a sword, yeah. you get attacked. And it's, it's I think not, that's the crucial thing. It's not a long walk from your house to the castle, anyway. That's true. So yeah, it is. It feels long when it's rainy and you don't have the poncho or anything. <laughs> The Zora Poncho. <laughs> a- anyway, um, even in Ocarina of Time, you can take damage even when you don't have your sword because you, you need to get the sword by bypassing these rolling rocks. So for Ocarina of Time's tutorial, we're basically considering that getting the sword, getting the shield, and then once you hit the Deku Tree, that's it. The game begins. Basically, I'd agree. You still get tutorials even in the Deku Tree. Well, you get tutorials. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not seeing, I'm not seeing why we're trying to make a distinction. It's like, oh, but you get hurt in this part. It's like, what the hell does that matter? Because it there's punishment. It, it kind of doesn't. It's like, what? It doesn't matter if you're being punished. The point is that you're that being does. taught something. No, 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 no. The point is you're being taught something. Whether you can take a damage or not is besides the point. Then I would say that a tutorial where I face risk is more interesting than one where I don't. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I think the Wireland Four tutorial had many of those areas where you have like what Daniel calls soft punishments. The point is, you can still fail if you don't do it right. 
the point I'm getting is that the damage part, that doesn't matter. Why not? It, because you could still fail and not get it right. So if you're doing that thing in like Twilight Princess where you need to herd the goats and you suck at using the horse for whatever reason, you're going to take a really long time. You don't need to be damaged, but it's you're still actually applying skill in order to do something. Same thing with using the eagle. If you just straight up miss the monkey with the basket or whatever, you basically failed. You don't need to take damage or anything. You still failed. So the damage part, I don't. It's it's not really relevant. And this is something we actually covered when I was playing Second Quest. Is that there is a problem with tutorials that are so railroaded that you can get through them and not actually learn the thing you're supposed to. And that was one of the issues Daniel had with um in the early stages of Sakura or uh, Cave of Batman, as it went by a different name at the time where it was so simple that you, because you were so limited with options, you could basically get through many of the early puzzles that were supposed to teach you things and end up not being taught anything. But Zelda doesn't have that problem. You're still, you know, learning things and then using them. So the part of taking damage like that, uh, yeah, but kind of that distinction. But when you're learning things, you're, you're using a safe place in Zelda. Sure. So that's why the distinction is that you take damage. It's a more severe punishment. That's what Zelda uses in this particular instance. Here, here's the thing. The tutorial would be the same if you somehow change it so that Link would somehow take damage if he threw the hawk and then it missed. And then the hawk went back to peck him in the face hey. or something. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what hawk is this? Twilight Princess. Yeah, oh, I think the tutorial would be the same except that you would have more stress behind it. Then all you're talking about is stress. So yeah, I think that there's a certain amount of tension that draws me into a game that's not present if there's no, you know, if the failure is too lenient. It's just a tutorial. <laughs> well, Adrian, since you brought it up, did you consider Prince of Persia 2008 just a giant tutorial? No. No, because you didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is the example of a game where you don't learn anything because it's so damn easy. You can just mash buns indiscriminately and then get these sick combos that they do automatically. Like this Prince of Persia four have like anything philosophical to impart on you? That that's a learning experience, even though it's not a tutorial. There's a lot of story and there's a lot of like you can talk to Elika. So you learn. So do you yeah, learn any reading comprehension? Do you learn any new words? A... <laughs> she has a dedicated button for talking to her, which. To be honest, I, I actually did use just to see what she would say. It's weird having a Prince of Persia being voiced by Nolan North. Oh, I didn't know what the Prince sounded like before, so... And, and, and you know, I don't think they once ever called him the Prince. He never... never once. He just assumed he was the Prince. Huh. I don't remember that. I guess I want to hurry up and get to the point of what I want to say about Twilight Princess's tutorial, or or I guess since we're since we brought up every Zelda after Link to the Past, we're gonna just say it now that, you know, there really isn't a problem with those tutorials. And not only that, most of those games I've at least replayed the early sections and they they really are not that long. I know for a fact Twilight Princess one isn't that long. Maybe it might be different for Skyward Sword in which Greg would be yeah. fair to complain. But I know for Twilight Princess, hell no. It, it, I was surprised at how not long that was when I already knew everything to do. How long did it take you? I think I was already by the first dungeon within like 20 minutes or something. Yeah, that's 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 the length that people complain about in Twilight Princess. 
That's all I got to get first 20 minutes tutorial. You do a lot. You do a lot in those 20 minutes, dude. Like, before you even get to that first dungeon, you have to rescue those kids, which you're already fighting enemies by that point because you've got the wooden sword. And you're going... 20 minutes. It's a lot shorter than uh, I thought. (laughs) All right, man. Sure. That's that's just one thing you're hearing people complain about. Well, that I, I don't know why you you put it down to a number like that. Like Zelda Two Nord needs to be this amount of like, like no, it's not it's not a number. It's just that that's what people that's what I hear people complaining about. Skyward sure. Sword, on the other other hand, is a long tutorial. It's probably longer than Twilight Princesses. Oh wow, really? It, when I replayed the intro oh. recently, it took me an hour to get to the first dungeon. Yeah, Skyward Sword is the longest. See, no, this is I'm another sure. reason why I brought the I don't know when the tutorial stops and starts thing, because um, and this this I actually kind of relates a little bit to the the damage thing you guys are bringing up, and is that a lot of times the point at which you can get hurt is well before you ever reach the first dungeon. I know that's a fact for Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and Ocarina of Time. So yeah, you get like little snippets of tension, like with the in. Ocarina of Time, you have the boulder maze, but then, like, going around and collecting rupees is pretty tensionless. Sure, but... When can you take damage in Wind Waker? There's the forest you have to go through to rescue someone. You can also drown, but... (laughs) 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 You don't want to do that. And Twilight Princess, when you're heading off to save the kid, you can fight. You fight off against those boulders. And that happens immediately after you get that sword, which is what that entire uh, village quest is. Like, again, really not that long before you, you're already off fighting stuff. And then after that, you then get to go into the dark world and play as the wolf. Fearing off a bit from Zelda, I just remembered another long tutorial people complain about is Kingdom Hearts 2. Has anyone else besides me played that? I've watched the video about Resident Evil 4. What? <laughs> Oh, Does that, that old thing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that game has some criticism where you spend the first few hours um, as Roxas just hanging out in Twilight Town and piling around with your buddies, solving yeah. mysteries and stuff like that. Here's um, the thing. A, a lot of that isn't even a tutorial. It's just the beginning of the game. Yeah, it's just a story set piece that uses yeah, the tutorial. like... When do you get, you first get the sword, uh, once you, actually, like, once you start fighting the nobodies, yeah, the keyblade, you, you get the keyblade once you encounter your first nobodies, and any time after the nobodies appear, that's when you're allowed to, you know, hit things. But, um, yeah, it's pretty early on in the game when you can fight stuff, and not a, a lot of that isn't even really tutorials, it's like, go find the thing, it's like, that's not a tutorial, that's a, that's a go find the thing. People just want to play a story is what people are complaining about. Yeah, I imagine if anyone was complaining anything is that they didn't get to play a Sora and they didn't get to, oh, I want to, I want to see Disney World already kind of thing. That, uh, right that's Central. like the opposite of Metal Gear Solid 2, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's still kind of, um, I guess, uh, whiny because it's like you're, like, you're basically... You've got the like, same gameplay, it's just... Yeah, because you're not even you're not even complaining about the gameplay at that point. You're complaining about why don't I get to see Disney Worlds? And to me, that's such a such a such a shallow reason to like get angry at the beginning of the game like that. Well, you could the get... point of the game is to visit Disney Worlds, isn't it? 
Like that's why you put the disc in the console. Well, if that's the reason you not got anymore. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not anymore. Now, now the main reason to get into Kingdom Hearts is just to figure out how how crazy is this story going to get. <laughs> Fox, I think you were around when Middle Gear Solid 2 was new. How did you feel about that? I wasn't a part of that controversy. I didn't care when I saw Raiden. Oh, okay. I think the tanker is actually a more interesting level. than uh, No, the plant is more interesting than the tanker. Yeah, that's. I thought that was definitely for sure. Same here. I got the 3-in-1 collection on the PS2, so playing uh, Middle Gear Solid 2 and seeing Raiden did not bother me in the slightest. Yeah, I think the change is mostly cosmetic. It is. And you still gain new abilities and stuff, and the problems I have with Metal Gear Solid 2 are unrelated to who I'm playing as. Yeah. Uh, story- well, um, Metal Gear Solid 2 has a shaver. I don't think you can complain about that. <laughs> has a shaver? Uh, yeah, a, a razor shaver for beards. What? <laughs> for beards. Uh, <laughs> I did not notice. What? I can't tell. That's what's good about it is it's got all those goofy Easter eggs. He's like, there's a there's a point early on where you can pick up a razor and then is it for Snake? Yeah, it's for. The next snake. time you see Snake, he's clean shaven. If you have it. Oh man! As, as I get the razor, you can give it to Snake and then he'll use it on his beard. Can I get another? Like, I want to get a feel for why anyone would want to complain about the tutorials and Zelda games because normally whatever errands that they would make you do are the kind of things that are there for the sake, you know, just like learning basic actions and you, the kind of things you only do like once. Like the goat herd in the beginning, that's something you only do like once in the game. Almost all the stuff you actually, even the fishing things is something you do only once in the game or being required to use the telescope and uh, wind waker, which is actually required to trigger one of the cutscenes. It's like stuff you do only once in the game. So I just want to figure out like what else is it that people would correct about? Because it's not like they make you do, oh, here's a simple task, here's that same simple task three, five more times. Like, Zelda games have never done anything like that, I've seen. It's a lot of simple tasks that are trivial if you know how to do them, and there's no tension attached to them. So, I enjoy tension in games, and when gameplay doesn't have tension, I kind of zone out. And to have a lot of those in a row... Uh, it makes me question why I'm doing button inputs and when I could just like plop in another game where there's tension right off the bat. But the thing is, like, I already made my case about why the, the tension thing, like, for really early parts of the game like this, like, doesn't even matter as much. Certainly doesn't matter as much to me anyways. That, that for me really seems to be less of an argument for tutorials and more of an argument of, of pacing and getting your interest right away. That's the thing, though, um getting your interest right away is that aside from games I've seen, like Uncharted 3 was one that I actually kind of laughed out loud uh, when I played that for the first time and they try to get me into this and then they start flashing a goddamn circle button saying hit the guy and whatever. Like For me, that one actually just came off more silly than anything. For the Zelda games, though, it's like, one is that um, all that stuff that you do in the beginning is like, that is related to everything else you do in the game and to me, like, it is. Doing all that stuff is still interesting. You're still given this um, area that you can explore around in and, you know, mess around with stuff. So it's like, that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the game, and I'm okay with that. It's just smaller than what you start with versus what you're going to get later, but it's like, yeah, it's to be expected. Yeah, well, I can't I can't speak to Zelda. The only thing I've close to what I've played is uh, Okami, 
And I can say that I, I would be hesitant to play that a second time because I know the beginning is extremely slow and it would take me a long time to get to a part where I'm having any real fun. Is that because there are a lot of tutorials or is that more the Kingdom Hearts thing? It's hard to call it tutorials, but it, it's more of a what you find fun in the game and how soon it takes you to get there. No, 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 that, that I can't understand. If you're a person who likes a very specific thing in Zelda, or like two out of three things that makes Zelda Zelda, then yeah, I could see that um, being kind of a drag. But for me, the adventure parts, along with the action and puzzle parts, uh, I do enjoy, so I yeah. really don't mind it. Because that's the thing, Like I think Twilight Princess actually made it the most interesting. Because talking to NPCs is something in every Zelda game we use it to. Uh, figure out where to go in the world and get information about the land. And Greg, I think I know for a fact that you just don't care for that thing in general at all. Yeah, that actually, I don't care for it. And that kept me from being good at Zelda for a really long time until I learned how to how to interpret what NPCs say. Yeah. So my lack of investment in that aspect of the game made me bad at it. Now that I know how to interpret what they're saying, it's sort of just a, a decoding I do on my end. Um, just to get through to the parts that you do like. <laughs> <laughs> that's uninteresting. Yeah. And the thing is, like, that's a thing, because uh, I really do want to crush this myth that this is something done with uh, the Zelda's. Like, no, that's something they've been doing way back at the beginning. East Coast Peninsula is the secret. Like, that kind of shit. That's been in Zelda 1. Zelda 2, where you talk to town villagers to get information about where the second dungeon is, or things like, oh, the dungeon floor goes forever. Uh, I remember I specifically got that from one of the townsfolk. Uh, you guys were with me when I was playing that game, so you know that um, talking to people in that game is actually super-duper important, and finding the right people to meet so you can learn new stuff, even to straight-up learn new moves, is actually important to that game, too. And that's something they kept on with every other game afterwards. And yeah, I think uh, if you want to talk about talking being frustrating in Zelda games, I would highlight Zelda too as <laughs> frustrating just because it's so esoteric. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the one part of the game that they've gradually been getting better as they go along because those are the parts of the games that's going to make you get stuck. It's stuff like that, yeah. which for some reason people think they the first Zelda good is being able to get stuck on stuff like that, which I completely disagree. Not knowing the kind of things that you really do need to know or just straight up guess at for stuff like in the second quest is not what I call a, a fun time. That, that, caught, that leads for lots of frustration. Uh, just, just to finish things off, does it break immersion for you when the characters start talking about game controls when they're game characters? Like when Colonel Campbell says with a straight-faced snake, press the triangle button. It does break immersion but I feel like it's usually done for that purpose. Like, Kojima's doing something very pointed there, and um, in Undertale, there's the frog that <laughs> tells you about how to go full screen, and he's like, does that stand for four frogs? <laughs> and, like, usually, you know, they turn it into a little joke or a little cutesy thing. Yeah. And I've never had a tutorial that found, felt inelegant or, like, ripped me out of a scenario. All right. Whereas uh, in more delicately atmospheric games like Fallout, where you have to buy into the world, usually the the tutorials are more discreet, where they'll pop up like, press space to jump, and it won't be a character saying it. It'll just be a thing on the screen. 
Oh, well, if it's just a pop-up tip, that's, that's nothing. I just mean like, you know, are the characters getting too aware when they know about circle buttons? I think I think designers have been pretty good about keeping that under wraps. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Greg that it's usually tone specific. Yeah. All right. How about I think, shouty? I think it's fine. I don't really care if the game tells me a button control. All right. So if Bloodborne said, "Hey, press the L two button," it's like I don't care. You're not breaking the lore. The thing is that they're probably not going to do it like that. They're just going to have a show up on like the screen. In text, they're not going to have the actual character say it. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. Yeah, I don't care. It's just a heads-up display. <laughs> yeah. So, so how's fertility going to handle it? Oh, I don't want to talk about that right now. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat with Shadi, where I, I kind of just don't care. Like, first of all, immersion. What that word means is complete involvement in some activity or interest, and I don't see what being a character in a way, breaking the fourth wall has anything to do with my involvement in the game. If I want to play the game, I want to play the game. A character momentarily breaking fiction by mentioning buttons, it doesn't mean... doesn't take my interest away from the game. So, it, the devil's advocate, there is the kind of person who makes a great investment in the fiction, and for the fiction to be inconsistent would be a turnoff for them, Right. I would say that the other, this was going to be the second part what I was going to say. The other thing is that I can kind of, it's one of those abstractions that you can understand. You can understand when to pull them apart. Like, why is everybody singing and dancing in the Disney movie? Nobody acts like that. It's like, it's a musical. Like, you, you, you understand it, even if it doesn't make sense. Why does nobody know that Clark Kent is Superman? It's like, that's one of those suspensions of disbelief things. And one of glasses. Yeah, one of the, and probably the biggest one is when people act like, why isn't Nathan Drake a fucking psychopath or whatever? It's like, it's not, that's not immersion breaking or character breaking or anything really. Or, why doesn't the Phoenix Down work on Aerith when she dies? And it's like, it's not what Phoenix Down's for. That's, yeah, that's one, that's how, that's not even <laughs> what a Phoenix Down was for in the first place. It's for being knocked out, not death. Or why does it look like the, the guns or things act differently? I don't know. What I'm saying is that um, for the fiction thing, being able to separate game controls from the game fiction itself is not a hard thing to do. And I haven't seen it to a point where that did bother me. The only example I can think of is one involving a cutscene in gameplay, where in Halo Reach, uh, one of the guys gets sniped in the head in one shot when, if you know anything about the armor that these Spartans have, is that they have a little energy barrier. One shot takes out the energy barrier, and then the other shot does physical damage. All they had to do was have the sniper shoot twice to kill them, and that would have fixed that scene. But that was the one time when it actually made me think, what, what the hell? Because it wasn't that different from it. It didn't have anything to do with game controls, though. That had to do more with um, game fiction in gameplay and in story, where that wasn't an uh, area they could have uh, abstracted it as much. He forgot to turn that barrier on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We hope to talk about tutorials another time, in addition to many, many other topics, because games give us a lot of thought to think about. <laughs> what? Maybe not in the next topic. You don't think about thoughts. What? <laughs> <laughs> What? 
you think and then have thoughts. You're ruining my outro. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay.